based on where you are. If you figure it out, you know, you could figure it out and you could have a totally different process and strategy than someone else in a different location and both can survive and thrive. Welcome to the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. My name is Kerwin Donis. My brothers and I got into real estate investing to achieve financial freedom and help underserved communities in Guatemala, where our mom is from. Real estate is the vehicle we're taking to achieve our goals. And you can too. On this show, we share the stories of some of the most successful real estate investors to show you that you can succeed in real estate just like they have. Each episode, we deliver inspiring and educational content that will empower you to launch your real estate investing career and achieve your financial goals. Let's go. Mark Henteman is an Emmy-nominated writer and producer who currently works on the TV show Family Guy. He's also a multifamily investor and a principal at Quantum Capital, a real estate investment firm that invests in value-add multifamily properties in major West Coast metros, primarily Los Angeles. Before Mark had reached the success he has today, he grew concerned about the lack of security in the entertainment business he was in. There was no guarantee he'd have stable income, and rather than ignore the issue, he decided to find some other way to reach financial stability. The answer he found was real estate. Born and raised in Ohio. Uh, I now live in Los Angeles. I got into uh, writing after college and stumbled through a few jobs. I was, uh, I worked at American Greet. My first job was working at American Greetings in their alternative humor department as a writer illustrator. So I got to draw, um, got to draw pictures and, uh, and write silly cards, uh, absurd cards. And those greeting cards got me hired to write for David Letterman in New York on the late show. And then I realized, you know, that, uh, 98% of the business was out in LA, moved out to LA, started on a new show in 1999 called family guy. And, uh, you know, didn't know if that was going to go anywhere uh, after seeing like the the sort of the three minute animated rough cut of it. And I was like, I got to, how am I going to survive in this entertainment business? I had never knew, known anyone. So uh, I used my first couple script payments to buy a duplex and uh, I fixed it up, did the value add. It was a tricky neighborhood. When Mark's landlord increased the rent on him, he set out to find another place to stay. This led him to finding a property that would serve as the catalyst for his real estate career. Basically what happened is my, my landlord, I was in a one bedroom apartment in LA with my uh, fiance. I think we hadn't gotten married at that point, or maybe we just got married and my landlord raised the rent. And I was, I was like, you know, raised it by like seven, $800 or something. And I was like, ah, crap. Like, uh, I was mad. So I went out looking for another apartment and we went to an open house on a Saturday morning and checked out an apartment. I have no memory of what that apartment looked like, but I, I walked out the door. It was a Saturday morning and across the street, there was an open house. I saw people walking in and, uh, you know, a sign and we were like, ah, we got nothing to do. Let's, let's just wander into this house. And we walked in and talked to the said hello to the broker. And she said, are you looking for a home? I'm like, no, I'm just looking. I was just across the street at the apartment, uh, looking at a one bedroom apartment. And she was like, uh, she's like, well, what, what do you do? I was like, ah, I'm a writer, I'm a new writer on a, on a new show. 
And uh, she's, she's like, well, do you have anything? What's your, what do you have saved up? And I had two scripts. I had written two scripts. Each one paid $23,000. So I had about, I think I had about $48,000. And also we had $40,000 of student debt um, as well. But she's like, why are you wasting your money on an apart on a, an apartment when you could put that towards a mortgage? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like uh, the mortgage, a mortgage, the burden of a mortgage is the last thing that I need. You know, the obligation of this hefty monthly cost, you know, what if my, my I'm expecting my show to get canceled? What do I do then? And she, uh, she kind of, we kind of debated that. And eventually I told her, you know, okay, the only way I would take, take on a mortgage is it would have to be the best investment I've ever made. Like I, a great investment is one thing, but just buying a house to have another obligation, no thanks. And so she called me a couple of weeks later and uh, she said, I, I, uh, I never expected to hear from her and she, but she called and said, I found the property you need to buy. Um, but there's a catch. You need to become a landlord. It's a duplex. And so I met her at the property and it was rough, you know, very rough. There was like, it was very overgrown, cool 1920s architecture, but you know, the whole property was totally overgrown. The sellers were raising goats and chickens in the backyard in the middle of LA. And, uh, and yeah, it just needed a lot of a lot of work to it, but it was nothing structurally or structural or major. And I could kind of recognize, like, without a lot of work, you could make this look a thousand times better. And then also, I noticed that you know this this location was was improving pretty rapidly. Like at the time, there were still there were still like gang tags on the the curbs, the sidewalks, but. It was walkable to this really charming neighborhood called Larchmont Village that had restaurants and, and coffee shops and all that kind of stuff. And to be able to walk somewhere in LA on the weekends was, uh, you know, had some value to it and not get in your car. So I uh, got in a bidding war and uh, there was 15 other buyers at the property when I saw it. And and I kept turning to my broker. I'm like, what do you think? Like it kept going up $15,000 a day. And she was like, I think it's still a good deal. And it, so it went from 379,000 was the list price. And after two weeks of going up, raising my offer, maybe 10,000, 15,000 a day, I won the bidding war at $435,000. And, you know, immediately thought I had just made the biggest mistake of my life. Uh, I thought, you know, this was going to, bankrupt me. This was the worst decision. You know, maybe I'd end up even in jail somehow because of this blunder I had made. So yeah. moved in, tried to uh, embrace, you know, it and, and try to catch up learning on the learning of everything that I didn't know, you know, over the last two weeks that would have served me much better if I had known how to value this property. And now it was time to learn how to be a, a landlord and operate a property. And I kind of dove in and read everything I could. You know, half the books were terrible. <laughs> like I was like, someone's just writing this to to be an author. Like, <laughs> and then there was a couple that were great. And I'll give a shout out to Steve. Steve Burgess has a great um, just fundamentals of apartment investing. Um, and I read that. I read books on on taxation as well, and just tried to really, you know, I was motivated to catch up uh, on what I didn't know. 
There's a certain mindset among many people in the entertainment industry regarding their money. Mark stood out among the crowd as a real estate investor and thought about finances differently than those around him. I think the the general mindset is is fear and, and paranoia. Um, you know, I think I work with a lot of neurotic people by nature that makes them good comedy writers. Uh, but I, you know, I started doing this. I was all in. So uh, fast forward to the that on that duplex, I sold that. So I bought it for for four hundred thirty five thousand dollars, which was way overpaying in uh, in the year two thousand. And I sold it in two thousand five for one point two seven million. And I not only I think I, I I asked my accountant if I could take the five hundred thousand dollar owner occupy. Uh, exclude tax exclusion, and um, and also could I ten thirty one exchange the other side of the duplex, the rental side? And to my surprise, the CPA said yes, you can. You qualify that. So my wife and I pulled out five hundred thousand dollars of gain ca- uh, tax free, and then we put the other like three hundred fifty thousand dollars into a fourteen unit building in LA. And I had already been like completely committed to real estate, maybe two years before selling that. And I started buying other things, but that just, you know, that just accelerated. That was my first sale, my first, you know, validation that what I was doing was, you know, really powerful and, and could be a really, you know, basically the perfect complement to this industry, to a job in, in a volatile industry. And it made me enjoy my writing job a little more. I was like, oh, you know, I could always fall. Say my, my show gets canceled. I'll just sit in my duplex and, uh, <laughs> and wait and I'll be okay. Yeah. And, and you actually mentioned during the other interview, um, who your first tenant was, if you could, could you share with our audience? Okay. who that was? Sure. Sure. Uh, so yeah, we were just starting family guy. I guess we were in maybe three or four months in, uh, because I had gotten a couple script payments by that point, but uh, it was my first tenant was Mike Henry, who plays, who I worked with. He plays uh, for people who know the show. He plays Cleveland Herbert and Consuela, and um, yeah, and he he made fun of me for being a landlord, and and I threatened to evict him uh, pretty much on a weekly basis. For Mark, his experience breaking into the real estate industry was made easier by having the right people around him. I think most of it was not as bad as I anticipated. Maybe I built up in my mind that this was going to be just like an avalanche, like hitting me in terms of management and, and repairs and maintenance. And no, I think, uh, I think it was pretty simple. It was just, a, you know, you set the rent. Uh, I had a lot of help. I started like, I started reaching out to other people. And, you know, I found an, a, a loan broker early on who was always very helpful. And in those early days, like he had, he had 25 years experience at the time and I was brand new. So he was, he was just like a friend and he was like, yeah, just do this, do this. And he's like, I'll you know, back those early loans. And by the way, when I bought that duplex, I think if I remember accurately, it was it was up there, but uh, I think my first interest rate was nine percent, and interest rates were high in the uh, ninety nine uh, two thousand, and I refinanced. 
I think I refinanced three times in those first like three years. And I went from nine to seven and then down from seven to five. And then I think I ended up maybe in the fours with the final refi. So it was a time when you know the Fed was lowering interest rates and that just like unleashed, unlocked a lot of cash flow in that property. And you know, every time I would refi, I'd be like, oh my God, now my my uh, income monthly cash flow just spiked. And, you know, just, it was one more thing that allowed me to, uh, to survive, you know, any kind of volatility in my, my industry. Mark decided to invest in real estate for multiple reasons, but once he started investing, there were some pleasant surprises he didn't anticipate. And, you know, honestly, I, I was aware, but then I was totally not aware. I remember, I remember one time when the, like the dishwasher broke down at the next door, you know, the unit next door, and it was going to cost me like $280 to get a new dishwasher. And I was like, oh crap, like this was a mistake. Why did I do this? But then what I wasn't aware of that, you know, that I, you know, look back on is, uh, and I, and I was aware of it, you know, maybe a couple of years later when I had wrapped my head around, you know, what was happening, you know, a, a lot of it was happening off of my radar, kind of invisible to me. Um, and I thought that was in, in retrospect and in hindsight, it was so, it was one of the things that made me a huge fan of real estate. I had been, you know, I had tried investing in the stock market and in different, uh, different investment vehicles. And I was always mistrustful of them because it always felt like, you know, there were so many hidden costs and hidden techniques that, that you as a, you know, a passive investor were not even aware of that was kind of siphoning off, you know, your returns from you, like hidden load, you know, mutual fund loads and, and costs and fees that, uh, you just don't don't know about, but in real estate, it was the opposite. It was those invisible forces at play in your investment. You weren't siphoning off uh, your your equity. They were building your equity. It was the exact opposite because what I had no grasp of when I bought that property, I had no grasp of depreciation. Depreciation was racking up and eliminating my tax basis. I'm trying to see if I can remember all these these various things, but leverage. I I put 10% down on that uh, that duplex as a first time buyer, and I was not counting that I had a 10 multiple as a 10% down. I had a 10 multiple on every dollar that that property increased in value, and then there was you know there was uh and then loan pay down uh, another one is. Uh, I had my loan on auto pay. So I was, you know, looking at what kind of cash was trickling in, but uh, from the cash flow, but I was not tracking at all. Oh, yeah, I was paying down you know, two grand a month or, or possibly more than that um, uh, on my loan pay down. So that was building my equity. And then finally, you know, a massive thing was uh, appreciation. You know, that, that was a good time in the market. Um, so I was fortunate in that way, but in 2000, the year 2005, which I thought was late. I remember when, even before I got to LA, people were talking about, oh, real estate, real estate, real estate. And I was like, everybody's doing real estate, but I don't, I don't have any money, um, to do that. 
But uh, so by 2000, 2000, 2005, the, the appreciation that was happening, not just nationwide, but in my specific uh, submarket in that, that village, Larchmont Village area was really on the upswing. And so I was, I think I calculated at one point, I was making, I was probably gaining $20,000, $25,000, maybe even more than, maybe closer to 40. Uh, uh, 40,000 a month in all these like hidden, these hidden forces, because I mean, at the end of the day, I owned it for five years and I, I, I paid, you know, 300 and, uh, or no, $435,000 and sold it, you know, for two, 1.27 million. So there was a lot of gain happening and a lot of it was off my radar. As a multifamily investor, Mark likes to acquire value-add properties. Value-add made sense to Mark and was another reason why real estate was such a great investment decision for him to make. I started with that one. It was just necessary. And uh, with my first duplex, value-add is basically a benefit that real estate has over stocks or other investments is that you can't, as an investor in other, almost every other investment, you can't actively boost the value of your investment. I can't go boost the price of Amazon or something like that. But, uh, but you know, there's, there's a hundred different ways that you can add value. I think the most common way to add value is, uh, is just cosmetic I- improvements or curb appeal, you know, put, put a fresh coat of paint, re-landscape. Um, but then you can also, you know, there's, there's, you can reduce expenses. Look at how expenses are operating sometimes, you know, making, putting meters on, on the utilities could, uh, could reduce your expenses. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's my favorite is, is cosmetic, you know, cause those are the easiest, you know, start with the low hanging fruit and then you can add amenities. You could think about adding amenities for the tenants and if you if you could find things that they will be beneficial to them, and um, and they're willing to pay for a, a premium for, you know, you can increase streams of revenue. So you're you're what you're actually doing instead of just being an investor, you're you're running a business. There's a general misconception in the real estate community that Los Angeles is a market that is not suitable for real estate investing. However, LA is Mark's primary market. Mark's experience investing in LA is probably not what you think. Started in Los Angeles because I, because nobody had ever told me not to, um, and I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything about real estate when I when I jumped in. That that realtor, and uh, you know, I I always credit her. Her name is June on, and uh, you know, she pushed me into it, and I didn't know a single thing, so I invested in my neighborhood. And that was in, I was in LA and, you know, had a pretty phenomenal uh, result with that first thing. So I went to the next one and then I went and and just doubled down and was pumping all of my, my uh, income into real estate. Uh, So I never questioned that you couldn't uh, invest in real estate. And, And now even to this day, people say, oh, you can't, you know, just off the top of my head, oh, you can't invest in LA, you know, and I was like, well, you've never been to LA. You've never invested in LA. My handyman bought a, a multifamily property. Like 
you know, immigrants, you look at the, the 10 billionaires, you know, billionaire real estate uh, investors in LA, I would say eight of the 10 are immigrants who came from war-torn countries or, you know, somewhere where they, they came to the country with nothing. And they came to LA because that was a big city, big multicultural city. And that's where they got in. And, you know, they just worked their way up. You could, of course, you can invest in LA. It's a huge city. I, one of the reasons I can find deals there is that, uh, there's 3 million par- parcels in, in the county of LA. And I invest in Austin too. And I invest in Denver and, and really like those markets. But uh, you know, LA is the easiest market to find a deal when you've got that many, that many properties there. And it's largely multi, it's a lot of multifamily. Significant portion is multifamily. Um, any day, you know, after like five years of investing you know, I, I just realized like on any given day, I could go on the hunt and I could find a deal in LA that's worth buying. And it, it might take a little elbow grease and some, uh, you know, some value add, but uh, all day long, I could find properties in LA. And likewise, I love Austin. Austin is a, a, is a phenomenal market and, you know, got a lot of properties there, but those are hard. I mean, every single property I could, I could know every single property that's for sale, every single multifamily property for sale in about an hour. <laughs> uh, whereas LA it's, it's impossible. There's just, you know, you're talking about a 20 million, uh, one market, LA has 20 million people. Austin has, I think it's one and a half million or something. Yeah. That's it, so. Go ahead. And a, one last comment is, yeah, in Austin, another contrast between the two is Austin tends to have garden, garden complexes that are, you know, in the 200 to 400 range. LA's got just thousands of those 20 unit buildings, 25 unit buildings, you know, 16 unit buildings. Like my brothers and I, Mark is an apartment syndicator. That means he raises money from numerous investors and uses it to buy an apartment building and execute the project's business plan. Mark was currently working on multiple projects when we spoke, and to fund those, he leverages his network and connections to find passive investors. We are doing, uh, we're doing two currently. Um, we're doing one in Denver and we're doing one in LA uh, uh, for syndication. Is a free unit and the other is a 36 unit. Uh, so Denver has uh, comparable properties to LA. It's got some of those uh, um, older, maybe 1950s, 1930s uh, built. And I kind of like those. I've, I've been investing in those forever. Um, and the, uh, the target investor for us, I think my first target investor was you know, before I ever got into syndications is I was a writer and I was going to going into the writer's room every day and hanging out with these guys. And I would just say, uh, I would always tell them like, do yourself a favor, buy something like buy property, get into, get into investing, give yourself some kind of financial cushion. Cause this is a volatile business. Who knows? You know, we know people who, yeah, they're on a show and they're doing great. And then the show gets canceled and, then they struggle for the next uh, year and a half to, to get their next gig. So I, I was encouraging every writer like to do this, 
But, you know, ironically, and to my surprise, none of them would do it. And I would hand them. I was like, I can't buy this property. This is a great property. Buy this fourplex or something. We'll give you a management company and they'll, they'll do most of the work for you. Uh, but there, there's some level of fear or, or, uh, you know, maybe it's the neurosis or something, uh, None of them would do it. And then eventually they said, you know, you, you keep talking about this all the time. Why don't you find something and we'll go put some funds into it. And so that happened in 2007. And that was, became kind of my first syndication. So as a long-winded answer to your question, I think my first investors were fellow, fellow writers. Um, and then, and then as I got into the the teens after 2000, you know, the great recession was coming out of that and I was buying aggressively. And then I started, uh, you know, I, I started quantum capital, which is my, uh, syndication company and my investing company back in, uh, 2016. And, you know, I think we, I just had a lot of uh, a network and, and it was, a, it was mostly professionals, mostly professionals who were working and uh, and just wanted passive income, and so there was a good portion of writers. There was, um, yeah, and just other other people that I had met along the way. Pivoting as a real estate investor is an important skill. Pivoting allows you to be versatile and make the most of any situation. Mark's experience during the 2008 economic downturn was an example of how he pivoted and adapted during a time when many people were facing financial ruin. I would think my biggest failure in, uh, you know, no, it's not, it hasn't been smooth, but I've always come out the other end. Um, my biggest failure would be that first, you know, to that, uh, that investment I just mentioned where I had finally gotten in a bunch of people to go in with me. And I had been, I had been very becoming increasingly wary of the market uh, in the mid 2000s. By 2005, like I just sold my duplex for a phenomenal number, triple, you know, practically triple what I paid for it. And that's not my triple my money. That's triple the value of the asset. That asset was listed for 379 and I sold it for four, 1.2 million. Um, uh, so I was like, wow, uh, this is not going to last. And so I started watching closely and started to slow down. And I think I bought something in 2005, but didn't buy anything in 2006, didn't do anything in seven. I think I was refinancing and kind of doing value adds to the existing portfolio. I probably had, you know, seven or eight properties at then at that point. Um, but I was waiting and I was, I was waiting for a correction because I felt like uh, prices were inflated. And when, and, and when the in 2008, uh, the prices started to slide. Real estate values finally started to come down, and uh, and it was in the wake of a bunch of foreclosures that were happening in Florida. I don't know if you remember that there was just a wave of foreclosures nationwide because of this uh, this bad lending practices where you know people were were taking massive loans, hundred percent loans with no no verification that they had any ability to pay it back. So that caused the slide and, and um, some of the major mortgage uh, companies went bankrupt due to this. Currently, this is a mess. Ultimately, this is going to be an opportunity. 
And so when the market dropped uh, by 15%, I was, that's what I was waiting for. And so I, I watched value slide and then I started to plateau. And I, I figured this is my opportunity. And I jumped in. I had, I think I had five colleagues of mine, writer friends. We all went in, we bought the 16 unit building and we removed contingencies. And two weeks after I removed contingencies, Lehman Brothers crashed, followed by Bear Stearns. And, you know, the whole, the world economy plunged into one of its worst recessions since the Great Depression. So I had calculated, I had been watching for a, and seen a 15% drop in values. And then they plateaued, but I learned retroactively, like four years later, I was reading an economist write about this. And I was like, that's exactly what happened. They call it the dead cat bounce, that there's often during the beginning of a recession, uh, a lot of investors wait on the sidelines. And then when, and they have like, they have it like formalized so that when prices go down 10 or 15%, they enter the market to capture that discount. And, uh, and often when it's a more severe, when there's more severe things happening on the, in the fundamentals of the, of the market, they, that tricks a lot of people that, that sort of a plateau and even an uptick in values after it's dropped 15% tricks a lot of people wait sitting on the sidelines to jump in. I was one of those people sitting on the sidelines. I jumped in and then the market had a long, still had a long way still to go. So I would say that's my biggest, biggest mistake. Um, and you know, the, though, you know, we bought workforce housing and we held it until 2015 and, uh, you know, everybody tripled their money. Um, you know, we rode through, we had, we encountered, you know, it, it's a testament to the resilience of, you know, BC class workforce housing in a market like LA, you know, we were, we were still getting payments. People were moving down from B class into our asset class. There was a, a wave of foreclosures. So people were, who, you know, were losing their houses were coming into the apartment space. And so there was consistent demand and we stayed full and rents, I think actually ticked upwards during that time. So, you know, knock on, you know, yay, yay, multifamily. Today, Mark has a large portfolio of multifamily properties. His current success is a testament to the discipline he's built and the strength of the partnerships that have helped him along the way. I think where we are now is we have about 120 million uh, worth of assets, worth of multifamily under management between Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, and Denver. Uh, I have maybe a, a portion of that maybe 40% is solely owned. And then the other, the rest is syndications. Uh, and I have some partnerships as well. Uh, and, you know, I've got great partners that are, are really smart and fun to work with. And so, you know, that's a measure of success. I, I don't really count, you know, count the money or, or something. I, I, I want to, you know, bring in good partners and be a good partner and have fun and do exciting things. So that's kind of what drives me. I think I always, I think I plan to, uh, you know, what happened shortly after I, you know, jumped into multifamily and was doing it is, uh, you know, I started to think like, yeah, I'll, I'll ride the entertainment business, uh, you know, and do this 
for for until I get spit out. And whenever I get spit out, that's fine. I'll I'll shift over to multifamily, but I'm going to do multifamily investing until I'm a hundred. You know, it's it's just this discipline, it's this process that I enjoy, that I feel like I've mastered at some level. And you know, I plan to do it until I croak. As a Hollywood writer, Mark loves his job. Real estate has provided Mark with financial stability, and because of that, he's able to live a life by design and write because he loves doing it, not because he has to for a paycheck. Having a whole world in, aside from the entertainment business, it's made it's made my job more fun uh, because I'm more relaxed. I don't need, you know, I get well paid, but I don't really need that money if it goes away, if some, you know, if the show gets canceled or or other things occur, you know, that's fine. It just opens up more time. And, um, you know, I, I'll, I, I know I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur on the real estate side and I'm always ready to just jump in and do that, you know, full time. And I enjoy that. So, uh, so on that, in that respect, it just t- took the pressure off basically. And it, and it made writing and, and, you know, being in that, you know, a, a somewhat volatile business, much more fun. Mark expects to continue to invest and grow his portfolio. He also plans to expand into more markets moving forward. Just keep on keeping on. Uh, uh, my vision is, is to, you know, explore more markets. I think, uh, you know, the growth that I see us doing is we, you know, I started in LA, did that for 10 plus years, just investing in LA. And then I figured uh, I, I need a second market. I need to diversify and, you know, looked at a few markets, chose Austin and kind of went heavily in Austin. And then I, we moved to Denver and those have been our three markets. I think we, I'd like to add two or three more. Um, to that, just to diversify geographically and, you know, take advantage of some of the great markets. Um, yeah. And I'm a, I'm a location buyer. I'm not a cash flow buyer. Uh, you know, you know, today in today's sort of uh, real estate culture, everybody seems to preach cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Um, you know, I respectfully <laughs> maybe disagree. I, you know, I go for, I, I, I call our, or mode of investing, I leverage growth momentum. That's that's my strategy. Uh, I, I find great markets, markets that are rising, that have uh, income growth, that uh, rent, uh, markets that are characterized by yeah income growth, job growth, rent growth, um, a tech presence, a, uh, a a seat of government if possible, major universities barriers to entry, you know, all those things. I experienced a lot of those in LA and I saw the power of that um, to, to drive returns. And so I look for that, you know, I've, I've stayed true to that and it's a, you know, it's go for overall return, overall highest return on equity is what I go for. And I think honestly that you need to sacrifice a little bit of cash flow in order to do that. And I think, you know, maybe some people make a mistake. And I don't want to judge people who do, you know, I, I don't, uh, because I've heard enough people, you know, be, you know, bag on LA, but like, uh, you know, so I don't want to do the opposite to, to investors in other markets that have found a way to do it. I found a way to do it in LA. 
but currently, you know, I believe in the, that the, the phrase, the, the eternal real estate investing phrase is not cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. It's location, location, location. And all day long, I'd prefer to be in a great growing location and leverage that um, for maximum growth. Mark's perspective on real estate investing and the success he's achieved because of it is a testament to how important it is to be an independent thinker. Thinking for himself and not being afraid to go outside of the box has made all the difference for Mark and has empowered him to accomplish all that he has throughout his journey. Be, be, uh, be critical and, and think for, for yourself. You know, I, I don't wanna be guilty. Like I think you can make money in any market uh, and I think uh, real estate is a great opportunity because everybody does it does it their own way. And you know, based on where you are, if you figure it out, you know, you could figure it out, and you could have a totally different uh, process and strategy than someone else in a different location. And and both both can survive and, and thrive. Mark also shared some places you can go to find out more about him and Quantum Capital. They can reach out uh, to our, check out our website, quantumcapitalinc.com. And uh, I'm sort of on social media, but not that often. But uh, yeah, reach out, reach out to us on the, on the, uh, the website and, uh, you know, love to hear from you. Love to help anybody that I can. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. If you got value from this episode, please do us a favor and give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Make sure to visit our website at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash monopoly, where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you'll never miss a show. If you want to avoid the top five mistakes passive investors make, you can also check out our free ebook by going to www.donisinvestmentgroup.com and downloading it. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. Until then, take care, guys. Hey.